right, as you grab your Bibles, go to the book of Ruth, go to chapter 2. We're going to jump into the story of Ruth in chapter 2 here in just a minute, but as you're turning there, I want to first thank you for allowing us to pray for you this week. Last Sunday, um, we asked for your prayer request, we asked for you to to fill out those little cards and give us an idea of who you are and and what it is that um, God's doing in your life try to get an understanding, a better understanding of how we can come alongside you and serve you. And on there, we asked for your prayer requests. And hundreds of you turned in prayer requests this week. So thank you. Yeah. And our plan is, we're not done yet. Um, we, um, we prayed a lot. We're going to pray some more. Um, so we, um, tomorrow night, there's an a elder deacon meeting. And our intention, Lord willing, is to spend that time um, praying through more of those requests. And I want to invite you, even this morning, turn in your prayer requests. It's a privilege for us as church leadership to know how to pray for you. It helps us know who you are, what you're going through, how we can serve you, how we can pray for you. And it gives us a chance to, um, to walk alongside you during some things. So you can grab one of the cards out of the seat back in front of you. If you weren't here last week, you can grab one of the longer cards and update your information for us. That would be great. Uh, If you were here, then just update, just give us another prayer request and and fill that card out. You can drop that off back at the tables on your way out or hand it in at the uh, connection station, whatever. But we, it's a privilege to be able to pray for you. So thank you for giving us that opportunity uh, to do that. Um, Last week, we started in Ruth chapter one, and I'm in the book of Acts somehow. So hang on a second. It's going to be one of those mornings. All right. Um, Just by way of brief recap. Um, you've got the story of this man named Elimelech who takes his wife Naomi and his two boys, Malon and Chilion, and he brings them out of Bethlehem because Bethlehem is experiencing a famine and he's got to find food for his family. So he heads to the pagan country of Moab and he settles down there and the unthinkable happens just after a short time there. Elimelech dies. So now Naomi is a widow with her two, her two sons and now her sons come of marrying age and they end up bringing home their ladies to mama to meet mama for that first meeting, which is always never awkward, ever, not even once. And Malon and Chilion bring home uh, their ladies, Ruth and Orpah. And it still cracks me up to think Chilion's like, hey, mama, I want you to meet my lady named Orpah. And Naomi in her head's like, Orpah means neck. What is this woman all about? So um, after a short amount of time to her horror, Naomi's two boys, Malon and Chilion, die. So now she's not at home. Her husband's gone. She had to bury both boys. And all she's got left in her family is Ruth and Orpah. She decides when she hears that God has broken the famine back in Bethlehem, that she's going to head back and she's going to eat the food that now God is providing for the people because that's home. And so she heads home and she tries to talk the girls out of coming with her. Uh, She tries to talk him into staying back at home, and Orpah listens. She goes home. Ruth says, no matter where you go, Mama, I'm going with you. This isn't an option. You're stuck with me now. They get to Bethlehem. The ladies are sitting in their whisper corner. They're drinking their tea. They're on Facebook texting each other while Naomi's standing in front of her. And and they say, isn't this sweetness? Naomi's name means lovely or sweetness. Isn't this the sweet? Isn't this lovely? Isn't this sweetie pie? Isn't this Naomi? And Naomi overhears it. And you remember the voice from Simpsons? Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Because I'm bitter. I'm Mara. That's what I want my name to be now. Mara. Because I want it to represent everything that I feel in my life. That is this. I left this place full. And I have come back. 
empty. God has taken everything from me. And Ruth is standing next to her this whole time saying, what about me? You've got me. And, and, and we, we looked at a couple of the things in that last verse of the chapter, chapter 1, that were really profound. First, this was the beginning of the barley season, which means nothing to us today, really, except for that's the first harvest of the year for Bethlehem. So, so if there was barley harvest, that meant it was the beginning of barley. There was six weeks of harvest time to come. That's a lot of food, a lot of the staple foods for the poor people today. And then not only that, but if, if the barley harvest came, that means the, the land was healthy enough to produce the other harvests that were certainly to follow. And so this was the beginning of God removing the famine. This is the God, the God acting on behalf of his people. And, 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 and Naomi says, I've got nothing except for God's removed the famine, except for your daughter-in-law Ruth has sworn to be by your side at all times and never leave you. And, and you're standing in home, at home, which that's significant enough. But when you understand where home is, it's Bethlehem. Bethlehem, which was going to become the city of the greatest king Israel had ever seen and the birthplace of, of the greatest king who ever will be, the king of kings, the lord of lords. Jesus Christ himself was born in Bethlehem. And Naomi still says, I am empty. And what we looked at last week was this. God is faithfully, oop, somehow I'm about to start a song. You do not want me singing a song. I promise you that. Let me go here, hit this button here, go there. And I'm going to keep pushing buttons, and he's going to do it in the back, so it looks like I knew what I was doing. God's faithfully loving and providentially caring for his people at all times. Keep that in mind. It's the story of Ruth. Um, let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go to the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? And Naomi answered her, Go, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who is from Elimelech's family. So here, here you go. So you got Naomi and Ruth sitting alone, and Ruth says to Naomi, we're hungry. We're hungry, and sitting here isn't going to do anything about our hunger, so let me go out and let me find some food. And Naomi says, okay, Ruth, you go right ahead. And so, so what Ruth is asking for is to be able to go into the field and do this thing called gleaning. She says, let me, let me pick up some of the fallen grain. Gleaning um, would be when the foreigners or the poor folks would be able to go into the fields and pick up some of the scraps that had fallen on the ground. In fact, it was commanded in Leviticus chapter 19 that they be allowed to do this. This is the command to the farmers at the time. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field. Don't gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So the picture is, if you drop something, you're not supposed to bend over like, oh, I've got to get that. God says, no, no, no. That's going to be my way of setting up a food pantry for those within our country who are hungry, who are destitute, who are poor. So, so understand the process of the harvest. The men would go through the field. They would grab the stalks. They'd have their, um, their, their, their uh, sickle in their hand. And they'd cut it. They'd lay the stalks down, and they'd keep going. Then right behind them would be a group of women who would bend over, and they would gather up the, the bundle of stalks, and they would gather them together, they would usually tie them together, and then they would throw them on the back of a cart. That cart was brought up to usually the highest place in the town where they would do the threshing. 
Now, the threshing floor was this area that usually sat, again, at the highest point in town. It was all packed down. It was really hard ground. The reason it was the highest point in town is so that the wind would actually whip through there more so than any other place. And so they would bring their stalks, they would bring their harvest up to the very top, and they would, they would beat on the stalks, and what would happen, it would separate the kernel from the grain. Then they would take their winnowing fork, and they would throw that into the air, and the wind would come through, and it would pull away all of the, 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 the garbage. It would pull away the, the stalk. It would pull away the kernel. And what would land back on the, the winnowing floor, um, the, the threshing floor, would, would be the grain, the things that are valuable. And in our minds... When we hear about Ruth going into the field, sometimes because people have done artwork, in our minds it's this very, very clean and artsy type moment. Here comes Ruth walking into the field. She's dressed in her, her maiden's attire, carrying a basket under one hand, making it to the to the field and bending over and picking up the stalk and just gently dropping it in the basket and skipping away. Right? I want to get that picture out of your head. Think like this instead. It's your five-year-old nephew's birthday party. 35, 40 kids are there. It's pinata time. Hold it up there, and then you spin the kid around, you give him a bat, and it's like, Ugh. and all around the field, field, all around the, there's the picture, all around the pinata, these dozens of little five-year-olds with their little bags in their hand, they're like, until somebody gets lucky and busts that pinata's head right off of it, right? And the candy goes everywhere, and then it's like, <laughs> Christian ethics are thrown out the window. There are some crying people, some angry people, and one really happy giant five-year-old who somehow just cleaned house. So the foreigners would wait in the edges of the field for the farmer and his employees to be done. And it was a brutal process. Oftentimes the farmers would give those who were gleaning a hard time Oftentimes, the women were harassed, even sexually. And some of the meanest people in the field weren't even the farmers or his employees. It was other gleaners. And Ruth says, Mama, we're hungry. Let me go into a field and do this. And Naomi says, okay. And, 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 and the story tells us, and, and the way that the uh, Christian Standard Bible translates it in verse 3, the end of verse 3. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. She happened to be. The, the Hebrew, which is the language which the original Old Testament was written in, the Hebrew expresses this, this complete shock of what's going on in this moment. The, the Hebrew, if you translate it literally, word for word, this is the translation. Her chance chanced to hit upon the field belonging to Boaz. Stroke of luck just so happened. Well, we understand that to be the very providence of God. And the providence of God expresses itself in two different ways. The first is the, the visible providence of God, the visible hand of God. You, you see that throughout the Old Testament when, when God does, usually, usually the miraculous, you've got the, the Red Sea parting, you've got the manna being on the ground, you've got 
Joshua around the city of Jericho, the walls falling down. You got Gideon being able to take out the Midianites. That's the visible hand of God. But then there's the invisible hand of the providence of God, which is the most common for us today. That's the day in, day out working of God. Those moments when you look back and suddenly it makes sense. You look back and you can see the fingerprints of God on every moment. That's what's happening here. She just happened to show up at the field. Let's look at verse 4. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. Will the Lord bless you? They replied. Okay, how many of you work in a place like that? Your boss shows up first thing in the morning. He's like, hey, the Lord be with you. And everybody stops and does their little musical dance. And the Lord be with you. I mean, that's kind of the feel here. It's this musical moment that's happening when they share the blessings of the Old Testament together. Verse 5, Boaz then asked his lead servant who was in charge of the harvesters, hey, wait, whose young woman is this? So big bad Boaz rolls up in his bronco, steps out, he's checking in on his workers, the Lord be with you, well the Lord be with you too, and immediately he notices Ruth, and he says to his foreman, hey who's that? Now there's two, one of two things going on here. One, it very possibly could be the love at first sight thing, possible. You all got married that way, right? Stephanie did. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Truth be told, it's the exact opposite. I've told this story a hundred times, and I'm a lot of time to spell it. But, but uh, I, first time I saw her, I had my buddy figure out there were there were two girls I didn't know in the same place, and I had my buddy figure out so what are their names, and he came back and said one's Stephanie, one's Rachel. So I did the mature thing and said, Hey, Stephanie, and she looked up and I said, Hey, I'm Frank. Nice to meet you. That's how we met, and then I pursued her forever from there. Imagine if I would have said, hey, Rachel. I would have hurt somebody's feelings. So anyway, that's one possibility. It could be, hey, Ruth. Possible. Probably not. I think instead what you're seeing here is a, an outworking of the very character of Boaz. He is an incredible boss. He knows all of his employees. And so when he shows up at the workplace, he notices somebody different in his field, somebody he doesn't know. He asks. And the answer is verse 6. The servant answered and said, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked me, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles <clears throat> behind the harvesters? She came. She's been on her feet since early morning, except she rested a little bit in the shelter. So you get this conversation happening between Boaz and his foreman, and you almost get the sense like it's at a baseball game, and they're getting ready to pull the pitcher, and the manager heads out to the, to the, to the, to the um, mound, and they start, I forgot what the word was, and they start having the conversation, and you can almost get them sense like, so what do you want to do? You, wanna, you, think, you really think we should do that? I'm not okay. So they're talking about Ruth. So what's up with this lady? And, he's, and the, the foreman's like, yeah, she's been here since really early. Um, she actually asked for something crazy. She asked if she would be allowed to not be like a typical gleaner hanging out on the outside of the, uh, of the fields, but instead she, she wanted to walk, when the women go out to, to bundle up the crops, she wants to walk among them at the same time so she can, she can get more for herself. And, and she's a hard worker. And she's only taking one break. She got coffee at the, at the house once. That's enough for Boaz because he says to her, uh, verse 8, Listen, my daughter, 
Don't go and gather grain in another field. Don't leave this one, but stay close to my female servants. See which field they're harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. So here, here you have this moment, almost like it's a new employee showing up at the job, and the boss is giving them a tour. And the boss is like, okay, so here's the field you'll be working in. Don't go to anybody else's field. Don't go to, don't go to the Lisa's field. Don't, don't go to the Arbaugh's field. Don't go to the Bale's field. You just work right here. Don't, you stick with my young women. Wherever they go, you go. Now, we have a sexual harassment policy. It basically is I will bury them if they mess with you. Okay? And then, then what I want you to do, here's the water cooler. So whenever you get thirsty, you just go down and you get a little drink from the water cooler. Two things to point out in this. One, the sexual harassment policy unusual that Boaz would stand up for her. But not unusual that there was a necessity for one. Okay. Secondly, go and help yourself to the water that my young men have gathered. That doesn't happen. First of all, a foreigner will always serve the Israelite. The Israelites will never serve the foreigner. Secondly, Women always got the water. It was back-breaking labor. Men didn't have time for that. So here's something very different, very stark. I mean, what it's telling us is Boaz is the man. And here, Boaz is going above and beyond what he has to do. And how does, how does Ruth respond? I mean, Boaz just said, you can come to my field anytime. You work with my women. I'm gonna, you, you just jump right in there, and I'm going to protect you in this. Look at verse 10. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? This, this, this man of character has shown up. And he's gone out of his way to take care of her. And her question is, what have I done to deserve this? I mean, remember who she is. This is, this is a woman from a pagan nation. This is, this is a woman who is a childless widow. She's homeless. She's broke. She's hungry. She's wearing her work clothes. It's not like she got all dressed up for this, this interaction, for this meeting. She, the only thing she's got is an angry, bitter mother-in-law. Right? Careful. <laughs> she knows she doesn't deserve the care that she's getting from Boaz. And so she asks him, who am I? What have I done to deserve this? What I love is Boaz's answer is far from superficial. I mean, he doesn't launch into some shallow, because you're purdy. He doesn't do that. Verse 11, Boaz answers her and says this. Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land. How you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you've done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Why have I done this for you, Ruth? Because of your character. You want to know what a, what a, what a faithful woman of God looks like? It's a woman of character. He says, you know what? The Facebook groups have been talking like crazy about you. The little town of Bethlehem is abuzz because of everything you've done for your mother-in-law. You have character. You and, and, and where that all started, your character started in this. You have sought refuge under the wings of God himself. What a picture that is, isn't it? I mean, if any of you have 
have your, your poultry at home, you see that every once and again when the little ones run underneath the wings of the mama. Uh, this was a picture that was used consistently throughout the Old Testament. And it's one of the reasons because of this. This area of the world is hot. Summer gets hot, 100 to 120 degrees down towards the Dead Sea area. And there's no shade. It's hot. And so when you get to that place where you are just boiling in your own skin, to find just a little bit of shade brings such comfort and such relief. It's, it, it's unthinkable and unspeakable how, how enjoyable it is. And so here's the picture. Ruth has run into the very presence of God himself. She had no idea where she was going. She had no idea how she'd be received. She, she had no idea what was going to happen. And now, but now, Naomi's God is her God, and she's clinging to him. That, that, my friends, is a picture of our story. We're Ruth. We're pagans, sinners, rebels. We're, we're the wrong heritage. And we can only show up empty-handed without anything that redeems us. We're not wearing the fancy clothes of our good works. We're wearing the filthy rags of our sinfulness. But Jesus who, by the way, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon calls Jesus the better Boaz. Because even though we had absolutely nothing, Jesus goes beyond the requirements of the law. Instead of just providing for us a sacrifice that would be sufficient, he becomes the sacrifice for us. And then he doesn't just become the sacrifice and like, there, I want nothing else to do with you. I can't believe you made me do that. Oh, no, no, no. He invites you into his family. He showers you with daily grace and mercy. And you and I should be asking the same question that Ruth is asking. Who in the world am I that you would be so kind? And the answer that God would give would be similar to the answer Boaz gave to Ruth. Who are you? And why do you deserve this? Oh, you don't, but, but you're getting it because you ran into the presence of God for your safety, for your shelter. Verse 13. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I'm not like one of your female servants. So, so a couple things happen here. First, she says, no, you have comforted me. This is a key word in this chapter that you need to, to, to picture, to experience, to feel. The, the word comfort means to put me at ease. It's from the same root word that means to breathe deeply, to breathe deeply. Deeply. We take for granted the ability to breathe deeply until we can't do it anymore. Right? So I praise God that I have not experienced this in almost seven or eight years. Um, but uh, for a season in my life, after, um, while I was in seminary, uh, I ended up uh, having the privilege of walking through chronic pleurisy. Now pleurisy, some of you are like, oh, exactly. Pleurisy, I won't get into all the medical stuff because I'll screw it up. Long and short of it is this. There's something wrong around your lungs, so every time you take a breath, it feels like somebody's taking a screwdriver and jamming it into your lungs. Now, the good news is there's a way to prevent the pain. Just don't breathe. And as crazy as that sounds, there were moments I would stand up and be standing. Don't want to breathe. Don't want to breathe. And then I would, I, would, I would be a wimp. But man, when it cleared up, the ability to breathe deeply was amazing. In Ruth's life, 
she has not been given the opportunity to breathe deeply in quite some time. But Boaz has given her that opportunity. Hey, let me, let me make this little side application here. Don't oh, underestimate the fact that many times God is going to use you as his fingerprints in the life of someone else. Be aware of it. And that's exactly what God used Boaz for. Now, now there's this little slip-up that happens at the end of verse 13 that I find funny. I find a lot of things funny that nobody else finds funny, but I have a microphone, so you have to listen. So, verse 13. Okay, so I found favor with you. You've comforted, you've encouraged, you've encouraged your servant. Uh, although, uh, I'm not like one of your servants. There's this moment where she's like, she's like, uh, did I say servant? <laughs> no, I mean, what am I saying? I'm not worthy to be one of your servants, big bad Boaz. That's not me. And Boaz takes care of it just fine. He says, it's time for lunch. Come with me. Look at verse 14. Come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters. He offered her roasted grain. She ate. She was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles. Don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Do not rebuke her. Okay, let me start. This is a great boss. He shows up and he brings lunch. And I know what it says, okay? But I've done a lot of work in the Hebrew. He brought wings and ribs. I'm sure of it. Okay, this is real food. I mean, wine, grain, whatever. It was wings and ribs, okay? And, and, he, and he looks at, at Ruth. He's like, come on over here and eat. He serves the foreigner. He serves the, the Moabitess. Again, he goes above and beyond. So, so please understand this. The letter of the law said you needed to let the poor foreigner glean. But the spirit of the law says you need to feed them. And he went in with both feet and he fed her. He gave her the meal. And it says she ate. She filled herself full. She had leftovers. That's a great meal, right? That's a great meal when you can eat yourself full and really enjoy it. And be like, and I have a doggy bag. This is amazing, right? Now, and this party is legit. This is a Jesus-y party if I ever saw one. They're all sitting around the table, and here you've got gleaners, you've got employees, you've got a Moabite with the Israelites, you've got the poor and the rich, you've got outsiders, you've got insiders, you've got men serving women. That's got the fingerprints of Jesus all over it. That's a party. But Ruth, being Ruth, she's not wasting time. She gets back up, she heads back out to work. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the farmers might allow gleaners, but they would make it difficult. Boaz says, we're not making it difficult not only are we not going to get her away, we're not going to push her off to the corners. We're actually going to be walking along with our bundles and, oops, drop a few of them, okay? That, that's, that's what Boaz commanded. So verse 17, Ruth gathered grain in the field till evening, and she beat out what she had gathered. and It was about 26 quarts of barley. She, she continued to work, and then she went to the threshing floor. She threshed everything she had gathered. There's a lot of discussion about, so what is the original word here talking about? Long and short of it's this. This means she threshed out at least 29 pounds of barley in a single day. That's an insane amount, of, uh, amount for, for, for a day's work. And, and she didn't just get it because she was a hard worker. She had a lot of help, right? Make sure you drop some out of your baskets for her. Come on, you've been to the Easter egg hunts. Like, how did that little kid get so much candy? 
It's because mom's like, I'm just walking with them. Right? <laughs> All right, so verse 18, she picked up the grain. She went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she brought out what she had left over from her meal, and she gave it to her. So, so here, Ruth has to carry the 29-plus-pound sack of grain home to Naomi, who's, who's when, when, when Ruth comes into view, her eyes had to have burst out of her head. Right? Like, what is that? And then, after she drops the sack of grain, she then reaches and pulls out the doggy bag. I, think about it. So here's Ruth standing there. She went away to glean for a little bit today. And she comes back with this huge sack of barley and then cooked food. What in the world has happened? Have you ever had that feeling? I have. We were blessed to live in a town that had an Ikea back in Illinois. One day my wife said, I'm going to go get curtains. About an hour and a half later, she came home and said, I need your help. I said, what do you need my help for? Because I bought a bed. How, how did that happen? Now, you think that's crazy. We can't remember what she went to go buy. But one time she came home and said, I need to rent a truck. I bought a refrigerator. <laughs> At Ikea? She's like, yeah, it was a great deal. And it was. It was a fantastic deal. Proverbs 31, right there. That's what you got. So anyway. <laughs> but Naomi's got to be freaking out because all of a sudden she's got all this food. What's, what's happening? Verse 19, her mother-in-law says to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. And Ruth said to her, verse 19, she told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with. But she said, the name of the man I worked with today is, now, that's the way the Hebrew is written. It just stretches it out. It's like the perfect story. It just drags, it, it takes the, the name and moves it to an abnormal position in the sentence structure to get it way at the end so that way you are left on the edge of your seat just listening as the tension builds. The name is you don't know him, but you're going to love him. The one and the only, the kindest man I've ever met. Nicest eyes, deepest voice, most amazing smile, the biggest, the baddest, the best boss in Bethlehem. His name is Boaz. In verse 20, you hear the shock in Naomi's voice. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Oh, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not abandoned his kindness to the living and the dead. And, and then it seems like Naomi's like, i got to explain this to Naomi. Naomi continued, Ruth, the man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. The Lord has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Kindness is a rugged translation of this word, but there's really no other word you can use. It's the Hebrew word for chesed, chesed. And, and so, so I read a story about a translator who was trying to uh, translate the word lamb into a, a, a language that had no word for lamb, nor did they have lambs in their area. So his best option was to translate, every time he came across the word lamb in scripture, he translated it as Llama. Now, there's some similarities for sure between a llama and a lamb. Four legs, woolly, they like to eat grass. But llamas are bigger and grumpier and they like to spit. That's very different. So, so every, time, every time you get to the word llama in the scripture, you'd have to be like, okay, let me explain. It's not really llama. It's kind of like a llama. Well, that kind of happens with this word said when you get into the Old Testament because, because th th there's not a single English word 
that, that it can translate. The word chesed means to love and mercy and grace and kindness and goodness and loyalty and benevolence. It's all, all of that is wrapped up. The idea, is, the idea is there's somebody who is in intense need and then there's somebody else that has the power and the resources to make a difference for that other person. It's, it's, it's the idea that somebody cares and has freely made it their business to look out for you, even though you didn't ask. And, and then it actually means this loyal and selfless love that, that motivates a person to do voluntarily what nobody has the right to expect or ask from them. This is a movement of God towards his people. And at the, at the name of Boaz, when, Naomi, when Ruth says that his name is Boaz, at the name of Boaz, Naomi immediately thinks of God's chesed, God's faithfulness to her. He says, Ruth, you may not understand this. This is a, a kinsman redeemer, which, which I know, you're like, yeah, tell it. No, sorry, you've got to wait a week or two for that. Okay, so that's coming. But, but know this, what's happening is God is setting up a rescue. Just a short time earlier, Naomi had written for everybody to see in the biggest letters she possibly could write, I am alone. And in this moment, God took the eraser and erased those words and grabbed his own pen and wrote, I am faithful. Even though Naomi felt like she was in the dark, in this moment, she got to hear that God's still working in the dark. And, and as she's still trying to comprehend all of this, Ruth keeps talking. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabite said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they finished all of my harvest. So, so, so Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. So Ruth stayed very close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth, Ruth says, listen, he's giving me work, temp work for another couple of weeks here. We're going we're gonna to have work. We're going to have food for a long time. He's promised me protection as I stay close to his people. And, and, and as you stand back and look at it, all of this came as this result of chance. Just dumb luck that she would end up in Boaz's field, right? Not a coincidence. I mean, coincidences could go on for a while. They go all the way back. I mean, that Elimelech would make the hard decision to leave home because they're hungry, that Elimelech would choose to go to Moab, but not actually into Moab proper, but to, to dwell in the fields of Moab, that Elimelech would die, that Malon and Chilion would choose two Moabite women completely contrary to everything that they've been instructed their entire life, that, that Ruth would choose to go back with Naomi even though it cost her everything. Ruth would simply end up in his field. He just happens to show up when she's there. It just so happens, as luck would have it, because the, the planets are aligned, that he's a, he's a kinsman redeemer. Listen, God is faithfully loving and providentially caring for his people at all times. He has made it his business to look out for you. When you find yourself in the darkness, don't minimize it. Don't pretend it's not there. 
Don't put on the fake church mask. Don't pretend that everything's wonderful. But when you find yourself in the darkness, know this. That even in the darkness, if we look back, we can see the fingerprints of God. I know we want the hand of God. But the fingerprints of God will do just fine. Because what they will leave an evidence of is God's incredible faithfulness, his kindness, his chesed, covenant loyalty to you. And there's no better place to see it than in the offering of his son, Jesus Christ, for your sins. The fingerprints of God are all over this story. And they're all over yours, too. Father, thank you for an amazing story in your incredible word. Thank you that in, in, in dark times we can trust that you're at work, even though sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we do. We have the same perspective that Naomi has, that, that we're alone, that we're forgotten. The Lord thanks that we, we can trust that we're never alone and we're never forgotten. I, I pray for the one who's sitting with us this morning who is struggling with the darkness, who is who's feeling like everything has just been lost. It's all upside down. God, would you give them the opportunity to stop? Give them the willingness to stop. Give them the, the courage to stop and look back and see how you have been orchestrating their life to this very moment. God, would you bring comfort, the ability to deep breathe right now. I thank you that we have so many stories and pictures of your covenant faithfulness, not just in our own life, but in the lives of hundreds and thousands of men and women. May we take joy even in those. Thanks for loving us. I pray that we would walk through both our dark times and our really bright times in a way that brings you glory. For it's in the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.